You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Lieutenant Colonel Kearney, how are you doing today? It's so good to have you with us. I'm so excited to see you. your flow's looking great. I haven't seen you in, it seems like, yeah, it's been like two years probably since I've seen you in person last. So how are you? Yeah, absolutely, brother. No, uh, I'm, I'm trying to go ahead and compete with you, uh, with your uh, your civilian hairstyle, but I, I got a long way to go. But uh, now it's great to see you. you. You look happy as always. And uh, I'm excited to be able to have a conversation with you, brother. Really, really proud of what it is that you're doing now. And, uh, and looking forward to what it is that you're going to continue to keep on doing for us. So uh, I'll go ahead and stand by for whatever it is that you got to throw at me, my man. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that big time. You've been a big influence on my life for sure. One of my favorite leaders I remember having in the Army. And so just to give people some background. So, yeah, so back when I was, I think I only had, um, I'm trying to remember what the, who's the BC, uh, Ibizai, Colonel Ibizai, Ibizai before you. Yeah. yeah, only for about a couple months before not even a couple months, I think it was like five weeks before you got there when I was a brand new platoon leader in the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg. And so then Lieutenant Colonel Curdy comes in. And, and the reckoning like, began. That's yeah. right. Yep. <laughs> things shifted in a big way, uh, but it was great. And so we were, we were, you were my battalion commander, I think for what, like nine months, 10 months or something like that, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Leading up to the point. Yeah, maybe even more than that. Yeah, I think it was right under a year. And then we deployed together to Afghanistan. Uh, PTDR <laughs> came the, the mantra of the unit. And uh, yeah, you have, to give somebody, you have to give the boys something to go ahead and rally around. It uh, probably wasn't the most uh, politically sensitive one, but uh, we're leaving <laughs> at PTDR. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. That's awesome. So you've obviously had an incredible, incredible Army career, uh, which has been cool just to learn about. It was cool to be a part of it for a short period of time um, and just kind of experience it. But can you give us just a little bit of background on your, on your life and just kind of what led you to the military and the infantry and all the stuff that you've been able to do? Yeah, absolutely, brother. Um, I mean, so I'm an Army brat. I grew up in the military and it's, it's largely like many folks do when they grow up and they have a, a father figure that makes an impact on them and is successful in their own career. Uh, you see a lot of folks that follow their, their parents' chosen path. The unique thing about me is that uh, it wasn't really about following my father's uh, career path. It, it was about family. It was about a, a sense of belonging, and it was about uh, a, a sense of purpose. Um, many folks 
recognize and kind of like look at, you know, family in terms of aunts and uncles and cousins being your extended family. Mine is really the military. And, and I look at some of these folks, which are generals now or retired from the service uh, in the same way that many folks look at aunts and uncles. And, and I really wanted the same thing for my family uh, when I came in. And uh, as such, uh, went to North Georgia College, which is a military college, because uh, I needed that structure and I yearned for it. Uh, after a year at University of South Carolina, where I probably had a little bit too much fun. And I ended up uh, joining the Army and, and became an infantryman. Uh, an infantryman because of really the challenges that it offers. Uh, um, my dad was a, an Army Ranger. I uh, jumped out of airplanes and I used to tell people like, hey, what is it that I want to do in life? I want to jump out of airplanes and kill people for a living. Um, that's a little bit uh, alpha male and knuckle draggerish, but <laughs> at the end of the day, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, it's something that's kind of like motivated me throughout. I, I like the physical challenge. I, I yearn for the chance to, to lead uh, both men and women in combat. Um, and I've been lucky enough to have that opportunity uh, almost 11 times now. And, you know, some of the th things that I've been lucky to do is, is serve in the 75th Range Regiment and in the 82nd Airborne, where you've got three and four time volunteers, uh, which really surround you and, and make you, uh, as a leader, rise to the occasion. I mean, folks like you, and, and I'm not just pandering to you, my man, uh, you know, force me to, to come out of my shell, force me to um, evolve as a man and as a leader, uh, because I was able to go ahead and, and have an impact on these young lives that quite frankly, you guys were like 10 years younger than I was. And, and we're going through and, and raised in a different type of, uh, environment than I was. And so I learned a lot from you guys, uh, along the way. And, uh, you know, at the, at the end of it all, really, I look back and I'm, I'm almost 19 years in the army now. And I don't think that there's anything I'd change. Um, so how I've come about to this point is really about family and in a sense of belonging and wanting to lead and give back. Um, and I've been lucky enough to do that, uh, with my, uh, with my wife, Lauren Kearney, and I've been able to go ahead and, you know, find a rock there that's been able to raise my two little boys, Danny and Jack, uh, because without her, I wouldn't have been able to do, do any of this. And so, uh, I'll go ahead and turn it back over to you, my man. Right. No, that's great. I appreciate it. I love the the shout out to to USC and the the uh, the the past <laughs> Colonel Kearney. You yeah, had too much fun there. I, I remember a couple of times having too much fun together. That's uh, so my my fondness. The, uh, the the ball in uh, the ball and maybe a couple uh, hailing farewells every hailing now and then probably come to mind. And I will challenge in. Anybody uh, that is in the army to throw a better ball than we did in, uh, in Geronimo. That's right. Yeah. That was five stars. That was five stars for sure. We had a great time. And so you've deployed 10 times now, you said? So I, I've deployed, uh, I've deployed 13 times. Now. 13. Wow. And to how many different countries have you deployed to? Uh, so Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, a couple others in the middle East, and then uh, like three in, in Afghanistan or in Africa on the African continent, rather predominantly up in the Northern region. What's the total months you've spent deployed? Oh, man. Do you know that? You don't know off the top of your head? I, I think I think we're at like, I think we're at like 62 or 63 right now. Wow. So as you can tell, not a lot, not a lot of long deployments, right. uh, but enough of them to add up for, for sure. Yeah, you're not kidding. Absolutely. 
And so I think it's such a great story, especially the influence that your dad had. And I still remember you bringing him in for one of the, uh, you know, professional development nights that we had uh, him coming in to speak. That was really, really special. And so he retired as a lieutenant general. Is that correct? He, he did. Um, and, and, and as as you can tell, had a tremendous impact on me. Right. Um, I, I've adopted way too many of his uh, his faults and not enough of his uh, better qualities. <laughs> so hopefully I do better in, uh, in educating my younger son and having an impact on, on some folks like you. You're obviously doing better than I would. If I was in your shoes, so it seems like it's worth vice versa. And vice versa, to be fair. <laughs> to be fair. I think we're both right where we should be. You know, yeah, I think our, our paths crossed at the time they should have. And then we both kept going where we should have gone. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. So that's awesome. So how do you feel like this time that you've had? I mean, you've done so many different things and, and I love and one thing that I hope comes across to our listeners and just the people in general is your passion for you have a, you have a deep passion for excellence, which is why I wanted to get you on the podcast. You have a, uh, a drive that I think is, is rarely seen, you know, and I think that you have a great ability or one thing that I've always loved about you is I think it's similar to, you know, like Kobe. I always tell people there's a difference between Kobe competitiveness and Michael Jordan competitiveness. And I think that you have a little bit of both, but the, the difference that I tell people is that like Kobe would talk about MJ and say, like, he's like, I don't know why this man gets so worked up about every competition. He's like, I only care. Like Kobe mainly cared about basketball, you know, is where Jordan would get like, you know, he's tossing quarters and like cussing people out <laughs> over like petty games that he's making up. And I think that you're very competitive in all different things, but I think that you have an incredible drive that you've really focused into your army career, uh, which has been really, really cool to watch. And so, yeah, like how much, so is it your dad or like what, what continues to drive you now as you keep seeking, you know, we were just talking about some of the next positions you might be up for. And just as you continue to strive for, for excellence and greatness in your own life, especially in the military, like what is, what is like your main driving factor, would you say at this point? You know what, it's, it's funny. I mean, when you, when you talk about where it is that I was uh, coming in as a young lieutenant, um, how I would define success would have been like, I need my Ranger tab, like all great infantry officers. Um, I wanted to serve in the 75th range regiment and I wanted to lead men and or women in combat. Um, and then I had a fourth one, which is to be able to, to conduct an airborne operation into combat. And I've since scratched that off my, off my list as something that I never want to do. Uh, but the, the, the other, the other three, uh, I've been able to go ahead and do. And you know, to, to be honest, I don't know that I necessarily believed when I was a young man that I was going to be able to go ahead and live up to the hype of my old man uh, or that uh, I was going to be able to be successful um, in, in doing all those things. Um, I've since done that. And I, I think it's kind of like what you alluded to with uh, with like the Mamba mentality or, or with MJ, like both of them won multiple championships and MVPs, yet it never really satiated that appetite. Um, you know, as well as anybody who's ever worked with me, um, I want to win. I want to win. And I don't say that at all costs, but I, I want to win. And I know that I'm never going to be able to reach and attain the level of, um, the level that I want in terms of perfection and, uh, in a standard of excellence. Uh, but I think if I wake up every single morning and I continue to demand, more of myself um, and demand that of those that are working with me and, and, and for me, uh, that it'll raise the level of, of the competition uh, to our left and right. Um, I don't think it's, it's okay, you know, to use a sports analogy 
to be like Alabama and then play a lower ranking team and only beat them by like a touchdown. I'd be like Nick Saban. I'd be like, no, like we need to go out there and we need to dominate. Um, in the profession that you and I both were in, I can't afford that luxury to fail to train and hold folks accountable when at the end of the day, I've got to go ahead and be able to stand in front of their parents and say, hey, I either gave everything I had and I left it all out there to ensure the safety of your son and this nation, or I've got to be able to look at the mirror and say, hey, I failed, and then be able to do the same thing uh, with the mothers and, and fathers of America that are entrusting me with, with their most precious resource. And so I, I think that some of that plays into it, uh, but it's something that's matured in me over time. And while I am hard on myself, I'm hard on everybody else. And, uh, and, and my expectation is that they all will, will rise to the occasion. And, and I haven't been let down, uh, but it's definitely not something that everybody uh, appreciates up front, as you're probably well aware. <laughs> You have a unique delivery of that message, you know, yeah. that I think sometimes <laughs> comes off uh, somewhat abrasive to some. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, but I think that by and large, the mindset's awesome. And I think it was so impactful for me as a young, you know, I mean, I was, when we would have met, I was probably 23, I think, yeah. you know, a good four, four years ago. And so, yeah, just, I mean, such a form, you know, I was just so, you know, moldable at the time, you know, just to be around that that culture and that mindset that you had, I think is really important and something that I always try to, I'm a big believer in the, the translation of wisdom, you know, and saying like that mentality and just the immense responsibility that you feel, you know, for leading men and women in the combat, like how important that is to me and my ministry, you know, and like the stuff that I'm doing in my ministry work or uh, a mother, you know, who's raising kids at home and like just having this incredible amount of response, taking responsibility and understanding how great our responsibilities are for those who are entrusted to our care, whether that's, you know, for the protection of the nation, or whether that's for the salvation of souls or for the raising of children, you know, all these different areas, a teacher, you know what I mean? Could take the same yeah. level. Yeah. Just ownership and be motivated by that. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this too. I mean, so the thing that probably was the most impactful in terms of transforming the way that I looked at my leadership and, and how I needed to approach it with, with young men and women was becoming a father. Um, you know, for being candid and we're being honest about my leadership style, it, it is abrasive. It is in your face. Uh, it is very candid and, you know, folks hear the unvarnished truth, whether they like it or not. Uh, but with that being said, um, you know, becoming a father and seeing how my son would react to the way that I would engage with him and feeling that sense of like, I have a, a job for our country, uh, our nation, to shape and mold and mentor and train this young man to be a productive man in society. Um, mm -hmm. He needs to live certain values. He has to have, you know, certain social norms and be able to go ahead and produce. Um, and, and some of that stuff uh, was definitely transparent to me that I was failing at uh, as a young leader. And when I became a father right before going to the Cornwall for 15 months, it, it was evident. Um, and then on the first day in the Korngal, I lost uh, the brigade command sergeant major's son um, to, to enemy fire. It was the first uh, soldier that I ever lost in combat. And that, that resonated from me. And uh, going back to what I said before, and kind of what you're saying right now with a ministry, 
it's it's very similar i think i look at it like a family because i always think i told you it, it's like you guys were my little brothers nobody messes with my little brother like right. the only person who gets to do that is me um right. and and by god like uh, i i took that charge on and, and that's kind of what i i do every single day nobody messes with my my little boys or my family only only i can um right. and that's that, that's something that I, I, I definitely embrace and, and I think is, is what drives me in, in terms of trying to demand perfection of, of not only myself, but, uh, but my family. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. That's, that's some really good stuff. And I think, you know, you brought up the corn goal. That was actually my first introduction to you. You know, I was watching the movie back in, uh, back in college. What movie? There's, there's no movie. <laughs> my favorite thing ever. I still tell people the story of when we were in Afghanistan of the command pictures and having your movie photos for you and Sarvej Navarro up on the pictures. Ron Tomatoes score. What command uh, team has like above 90% of Ron Tomatoes? Right. Probably the only command team in the Army. Ever. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. What a legendary deal. That. Yeah, that was amazing. I love, I love thinking back to that. I can still picture it in my head. Um, but no, obviously, like, I mean, that movie, I think, obviously highlights a lot of a lot of, yeah, just troublesome times that you went through the difficulty of deployment, you know, and like being in the heat of uh, <laughs> the heat of battle and just the heat of war, where you were in the Korengal Valley. Um, but how, how do you feel like those, those experiences, obviously, those very difficult experiences, but just generally your time in the army, forming you as a man, you know, you, you already alluded to the ways that it's helped shape you as a father, like, what do you think just like in your in your manhood and in your interactions with other people in general, anything else that you've really learned through this time? I mean, it, it's, it goes without saying, uh, um, and I, I suspect people can sense it in, in the tone and the way that I'm talking. Um, I'm a very matter of fact and, and upfront person. And when you combine that with, with the way that I, I look in terms of being like a six foot two, 210, 220 pound man, it's, it's not very welcoming. Um, and, and when you're talking like in the Korngal to these fail, feeble, like 60 year old men that look like my grandmother, who's 90 years old, um, and you're a 26 year old who's trying to convince them that, uh, you're there for good. It's, right. uh, it's, it's definitely lost on, on you as a leader that you're just not speaking the same language, um, that you're just not going to connect with these people on that kind of narrative. And it really was a journey to kind of teach me, you know, as a leader going forward, uh, that it's, it's no different with, uh, with like young men and women that are, that are platoon leaders or, or company commanders for you when you're a, a battalion commander. They haven't gone through the same life experiences. They haven't gone through uh, the same, you know, transformational changes and events uh, that you have. And when you come down and you say, hey, do X, um, it, it's not very clear to them on why. It's not very clear to them on how you got to that decision to do that. And so you've really got to do a lot of the, the, the homework to go ahead and, and not only educate them and spend time to do that, uh, but to paint the picture for them so they understand how you got there. And you don't really mature enough to do that when you're a uh, 27 year old in the middle of the Korngal Valley and you're being shot at, shot at constantly. Um, so I would tell you as a leader and as a man, uh, it's really those life experiences that have really impacted me with, with the army. It's, it's made me more patient 
despite what my wife would probably tell you is that I, I haven't changed that much in that and probably folks like you, but I, I've become more patient. I've, I've become uh, more understanding of, of what others may perceive and, and how they see things. And last but not least is I've realized that I've got to become more empathetic. Um, when young men and women come to me with their problems, like they look at my face and they see basically like, I don't have time for you. Like, why are you coming to me to talk to me about this nonsense? Like this is so minuscule or I could care less about that when that's not even what it is I'm thinking, or that's not what I'm saying, but that's what I'm projecting. Um, and so I, I've got to be, I've become more understanding of that uh, because empathy is, is one of those things that I've realized uh, especially now uh, is incredibly, incredibly important um, in being a leader. Um, and so last but not least, like how it's, how it's impacted me as a man, you know, for this alpha male, I think it's made me more soft. <laughs> it, wow. it, it's made me recognize, you know, the emotional side of myself and, and, and leadership writ large. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think one thing that you said that I think was really interesting is the, you know, explain the context and the why to people, which is especially difficult, I think, in the military context, because if there's anywhere in the world where you should be able to just tell somebody to do something and then do it without knowing, understanding, right? Oh, yeah. That would be it. And, and, and you go into that thinking that you can do those things. Right. But you watch the body language with these young men and women. And they're like, hey, this is the first time anybody's told me that I'm not, I'm not the absolute best. Right. Um, and, and they, they wonder why. And then they wonder, like, who the hell are you to tell me that I'm not, I'm not capable or I'm not the best to do this? Um, or that I failed, yeah. Hard, those are hard conversations to have. Um, and, and as a man, being younger and, and growing into that, I've realized that that's stuff that I have to do with my son. It's stuff that I've got to do with my peers. And, and it's stuff that, that I've got to do with my subordinates um, alike because – Nobody likes just getting punched in the face. Right? <laughs> you got to go ahead and warm them up to it and, uh, and make them understand <laughs> why you're doing that. Right. Absolutely. So they're ready and they're bracing for it. Yeah. Amen. And I think one thing that you allude to as well is uh, what I call, or I read about in this book a couple of months ago is like, they call it the burden of knowledge where, and I think we do this a lot in our spiritual life, you know what I mean? In ministry where it's like, you forget what it's like Sometimes it's easier to forget 19 years in the army to, to remember what it's like when you have one year in the army and you weren't raised by a military, you know, by a retired general, you know, like it's, it's easy to just like forget, like they don't know as much as I do. They haven't experienced these things. They might not realize the importance of doing X, Y, or Z. And how do I now communicate that? You know, it's, it's exactly that. It's, it's, I mean, you go in there and you think that it's so easy because you can connect all the dots and you can see the ones and zeros in the matrix, but like, they don't even like, it's almost, you're speaking a foreign language to them. Right. Um, and, and they're like, I, mind blown. I got nothing but red mist behind me. Like, okay. <laughs> and then they just feel like they're, they've let you down. And what I've learned is nobody raises their right hand and says, Hey, I want to join the army or I want to join this group or this organization. Cause I want to fail. Nobody does that. Um, but it's hard to understand that. And it's hard to go ahead when you've been just like going hundred miles an hour to pause and recognize that in people and then take the time to be able to go ahead and, and walk them through that and, and make them understand your journey and their journey might not be the same, but 
you're invested in them and you want them to be successful because you know they didn't raise the right hand to fail. Right. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think it's really unfortunate how much we can write people off and assume that they they do want to lose and assume they do want to suck. And obviously, you you and I both know from our time in the Army, but just like in life in general, there are, you know, the 1% of people out there who are just committed to being awful and don't care about anything and are apathetic towards it all. But a majority of the people that show up, you know, whether it be, you know, to, to volunteer to serve in the military or show up to church on Sunday or show up for a sports team or show up to class, you know, like they actually want to succeed despite what their behavior might show, despite what their, you know, attitude might show. Like a lot of the stuff could be a lot of background that they don't know how to actually do what they're supposed to do. And that makes for a bad attitude and they're afraid to ask or don't know how to ask. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's absolutely that. And I mean, Let's add another piece on that is that when you put structure in place in society, people subordinate themselves to positions and to ranks and to titles. And when somebody with a title or a rank above them speaks, uh, they feel like you're, you're degrading them or that they are, they're being attacked. Um, And that's because people normally in those positions don't understand how those folks are, are receiving that um, because they've forgotten what it's like to, to be in those positions themselves in some cases. And that's, that's unfortunate. And, and I've grown through that as well. All, right. all this is because I've got scar tissue, Craig. It, it's not because right. I learned it, because I've learned it painfully. Right. Absolutely. No, I definitely get that. And I think, you know, kind of hitting on the, the three principles or whatever, like the army's definition of leadership, you know, purpose, direction, and motivation, I think it's some great stuff on like purpose and direction. And I think that, you know, we talked about PTDR earlier and touched on a little bit of motivation, but what's kind of like your mindset or your approach to, to motivating the people that you lead and the importance of that? Yeah. I mean, uh, so let's use a use case. I mean, in the use case that you and I can talk to is uh, coming into battalion command, coming into battalion command. It's a, a battalion that has never deployed since Vietnam. It's a battalion that has, uh, been bastardized into a brigade where the first two infantry battalions have lineage that is tied to that, that brigade headquarters and they feel like they're part of something. And then you add Geronimo into the devil brigade. Devils and Geronimos, they don't mix. Right. Um, the redheaded stepchild, right? Yeah. Um, they, they all deployed like two years earlier and we were left back to go ahead and like rake the lawns and mow the lawns like no we already feel like we're we're not part of the team um number two we were an organization that was made up out of i don't want to call them failures but people that were turned down predominantly from going into special operations Uh, a bunch of sf uh kids that just failed to to get over that hump and so they hey we're going to go ahead and stand up this battalion so so what do we have we have a bunch of young soldiers, NCOs, and officers that don't feel like they're part of something, that don't feel appreciated and joined because, like we said before, they wanted to be part of something and they wanted to be successful. So I recognized that we needed to go ahead and we needed to figure out how to build this team, this family, behind something. And and by the grace of God, uh, we we knew we were going to deploy. And because you all were so incredibly talented in terms of being lethal and being able to fire and maneuver on the battlefield. 
we were given the most difficult mission uh, going into combat. And we were able to use that, or I was able to use that to kind of really rally everybody. Um, you got to have something that people have as their battle cry. Um, it's, it, it's something that resonates with people and, and will give them something to go ahead and rally. I mean, so we changed the, we changed the emblem of the, the Indian to kind of be more emblematic of, of what it is that I wanted to be, which is be a, a, a disciplined, lethal organization. We, we, we took an Indian face that was rather cartoonish and we turned him into a skeleton that was carrying like brass knuckles and had a hatchet in his hand because we were ready to go ahead and, and paint the desert red. That's right. Um, we... We wanted an organization that was confident that when they met the enemy, they would dominate them and that they would come out successful. Um, we wanted an organization that was confident in their leaders. So we focused heavily on, on live fires and doing that right. right. Um, and, and I think that confidence, giving the, the team something to really rally behind and an emblem and a motto uh, were really the, the three things that I would, I would stake it on. And then I'd, I'd say the last thing is, and, and you know this all too well, and I, I think your listeners will, is that if you're going to stand in front of people and ask them to do X, Y, or Z, you got to be able to do it yourself. Right. Um, and I, I, I think the number one thing that I, I try to do is take pride in the fact that I will never ask anybody to do something that I won't do myself. And most of the time I won't ask you to do it if I can't do it better than them. Uh, but that's true. That's, that's a little bit cocky there. Uh, you probably kicked my butt a couple times on a few things here and there, but nonetheless, I, I think that those are the four things that, that I really focused on when I came into command and, and that I do with any organization uh, that I'm coming into now. Amen. Yeah. You're definitely not known for a lack of confidence. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's definitely not a shortage <laughs> from what I recall. Probably, I could probably take a, a couple hits on that, right? <laughs> no, that's great. I think, you know, some of the things I think you hit on right there are so important is like, and we've been talking about this for a while. It's just like, you can't assume that people are going to be motivated or inspired or want to listen to you just because you might be motivated or inspired, right? Like it just, cause, exactly. yeah, just because you're pumped does not mean that they're just as pumped. And they're going to naturally just be excited. And I saw that often army and I see it, I've seen it in a whole bunch of different realms in my life, you know, where people just assume that you're going to show up and be just as happy to be there or just as interested in the topic as they are. It's, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and use what you said. I mean, look at Kobe and look at MJ. I mean, MJ was constantly having to motivate his team. Right. Um, and push those buttons. I mean, you really saw it if you watched the documentary with him and Scottie Pippen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You watched it. Uh, transpire between MJ and, and Dennis Rodman when Dennis Rodman was having his things. I mean, if you look at that documentary, people are going to walk away and they're going to be like, MJ was an asshole. Like, <laughs> no, MJ was the leader of a team and he realized that he had to provide them with purpose, direction, and motivation. And there was nobody else who was going to do that. Right. And that he was asking them to do things that he was absolutely willing to do himself and put in the time and effort in. And, and I think that that's emblematic of any leader, um, you know, no matter what it is that you're doing, it's, you got to have that perseverance. I mean, you got to have that grit. You got to want it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you can't just take a horse to the trough and force him to drink water. 
But if you're not willing to take them to the trough, then they're never going to be able to drink the water. Right. Absolutely. And I think you did a good job there of explaining the importance of recognizing the reality around you and accepting it. You know, you, you named the, the laundry list of, you know, just what made Geronimo a shit show back in, in circa 20, 2016, you know, and uh, it was a combination of a bunch of different things. And I think that that's so important for people to recognize like, hey, things are not perfect here. I have to accept that and then make an actual plan, lead by example to, to try to make a difference in that. So, I mean, if we go back, and I don't know if you remember what, I think it was like a week after I took command. And, and what I'm going to is you've got to be able to establish a baseline of holding the standards and holding everybody accountable. Because if you're not willing to do that, then nobody's really going to follow you and nobody's going to listen. And I think the first big thing that we did as a, as a group of leaders was take the PT test. Right. And we did that. And then we had a discussion afterwards on, and Hey, what is going to be our standard? What is going to be our goal? Um, I can't remember who the HHC company XO was, but, uh, but he like raised his hand. He's like, the standard's 300. I was like, yeah, the standard's 300. I don't, that's not what we can hold anybody accountable to. So you got, you got to have a standard that you can hold people accountable, accountable to, and that you can, you can actually attain and achieve. And, by doing that, we demonstrated to the, to the young soldiers and to the young NCOs and, and some of the officers that, hey, number one, this new guy, he's going to go ahead and he's going to hold people accountable. He's going to give them PT tests and he's going to counsel them. Um, you you got to be able to do those things in, in order to get people to buy in really quick when you come into these types of situations. Because if you turn a blind eye to it, you've created a, a new norm. Right. Um, it's kind of like... Uh, you know, when I counsel a lot of PLs, I would say you set the moral compass and you point true north. If you turn a blind eye or you change the standard, well, north points in a different direction now. And that's right. the new azimuth that everybody goes off of. Um, and, and so by by being a leader, you've got to set that. And I, I think you can look at any leader that does that, whether it's in in, in, in your faith or whether that's in, in the civilian sector, in your home, in your family or, or at work. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's really important stuff. And so lastly, I, I that's what, what'd you say? I apologize for rambling, man. You can tell them. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Your passion comes across, which I love. But the last thing I wanted to talk about was just a little bit about faith and you hit, you hit it on it there at the end. Uh, but some of my favorite memories of us were, were going to mass together in, uh, in Bagram there in Afghanistan back in, back in the day. So how, how do you feel like all of this, you know, your leadership development, your, your time that you've served in the military, the formation, uh, the grit that you've developed, like how has that formed you or, or helped you to live out your faith? You know, I mean, I'd tell you, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that it, it wasn't challenging. Um, and I, I can't remember if we had that conversation or not, Craig, but, uh, it's, it's one of those things that when you don't think about it, but you look back on it, you realize that faith is really the foundation that, that you've laid for yourself in terms of the way that you look at the world, um, and the way that you, you carry yourself. Um, you, you recognize that, uh, as unfortunate as it may be, uh, I, I traveled through, throughout the world, as I said early on, 
um, and have seen some things that, that may have, not may have, they, they caused me to go ahead and question, question not necessarily the faith, but maybe some of the, some of the teachings. Um, and, you know, oddly enough, I, I married a Southern Baptist and that has been, that has been a challenge as well. Um, but with all that being said, it, it is something that, that is with me to this day. Um, I have continuously grown by it. I find myself coming back to it, uh, you know, routinely um, when I start to recognize that I'm, I'm veering away from it. Um, and largely what it's really done is when I went to Boston last year, I was in a school that had 56% of the population that were non-American citizens. And when you start to talk to people and you can start to recognize and see what their, their baseline foundation is, you can start to understand what their upbringing was, uh, whether they were Catholic, whether they were Baptist, whether they were, you know, Islamic, uh, Muslim, or, or what have you. You can see that in the way that people carry, carry themselves and in their views of the world. And I think that the, the greatest thing that I've been able to do with my experiences and in, in meshing my faith together um, is, is really recognizing that uh, everybody's a little bit different, number one. Number two is that I'm blessed to be able to have a, a forgiving faith that allows me to go ahead and make mistakes and recognizes that I will make mistakes uh, but is willing to forgive me for him and is going to still love me. And then last but not least is that doesn't expect perfection. Um, and, you know, when you, when you tie that back into me and what we talked about earlier, Crank, this is where it, it all comes to a head. I demand perfection. I know I'm never going to achieve it, but it's something I hold to myself and I hold of others. And when I find myself coming back to, you know, to my faith and, and being a Catholic, it's recognizing that, they don't expect perfection of me. In fact, they expect me to fail at times, actually probably many more times than, than I expect to fail or want to fail, and that they're still going to forgive me. And I think as a leader and as a man and as a father, that's what my faith has taught me is that I've got to be able to forgive. I've got to be able to understand that we're never going to be perfect. And that last but not least is that this is all a growth and a journey uh, that I'm probably never going to completely appreciate and understand. But to end it there, I've got to have faith that in the end, I'm doing everything it is that I can, uh, not only for my God, uh, but for my family and for my nation, that in the end, the man's going to look me in the eye and he's going to make a judgment and he's going to understand why I've done X, Y, and Z. And so with that, I'll, I'll go ahead and pause and turn it back over to you, my friend. That's amazing stuff. No, I really appreciate that. And I think that... Uh... Yeah, you, you know, one of the challenges that we, we often talk about here is it's hard to balance all the different areas of life, right? And, and I think when you're excelling in one, it's easy to neglect one of the others. And I think that you, you know, you just kind of hit on that about how that experience goes. You know, there's times where you might be so focused on the professional or so focused on your family life that our faith life falls to the wayside or whatever. But it's so important to see how it works in different people's lives of, you know, like you talked about, like it ebbs and flows, you know, and like things you, you return back to it and understand the importance of it. And you just understand so much more about life and the world and your faith in yourself, you know, as you continue to develop. And especially as you have this, 
mindset of excellence and striving for perfection, knowing you'll never achieve it. Uh, just how much you still get out of life in doing that, you know, even though you have to deal with some harsh and, and look your failures in the face, you know, um, in the areas that you might have been slacking off in or, or struggling with, you know, and so I think uh, your example and all of that's been a blessing to me. It's been, it was a ton of fun back then, you know, to, to be a, a short or a small reminder on deployment, you know what I mean, of just the importance of our faith and um, to get to have some of those conversations together back then is something that I really, really cherished and definitely really appreciate your time today. This has been so fun. So awesome. I appreciate your transparency. Uh, and, absolutely. Crank. And I mean, uh, what you just said there about how you, how you invest in this. And then some, sometimes over on the right-hand side, um, things fall. Uh, I, I couldn't have said it any better, man. And I'm glad that you brought that up because, because I would have been remiss if I didn't say that. Um, getting to see you today, man, brought back a ton of memories. Uh, I miss it. Um, I think fondly about, uh, I, I think it was midnight mass that we went to on, uh, on Christmas, if I'm That's not right. mistaken, yeah. uh, walking over, walking over there together to go do that. And, and, and I'll tell you, man, it's, it's people, it's people like you that constantly are that reminder to it. Um, it's, it's those things right there. It's crank coming up and being like, Hey, you going to mass masses at this time and have having those kind of one-off experiences that I think are really what it is that pushed me to go forward. Um, it's, it's having those discussions with you about your career, whether it was in the army or outside of the army that really pushed me to go forward um, and, and go back to what it is that I think that you're doing right now and why I'm so damn proud of you, man. Like um, I couldn't do what it is that you're doing just because I'm just not cut out for that. You're a far better leader than me and you've made me a better leader as a result. And, uh, and, and those 150 men that are in your, in your stead and under your, uh, under your kind of lead, uh, they're lucky to have you, man. So I, I just want to say that. I want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for your service to our nation and, uh, and wish you the best of luck, my man. I, I know that you got a, a great partner in life with you right now, at least for the short term. Hopefully we turn that into long term and that, uh, that I get invited <laughs> out of there, out there to go see what happens. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that big time. I really do. And, and I know you you're going to cut that out because you don't want her to do that. <laughs> no, we'll leave it in. We'll leave it in. I like the, I like the bold call there. I like the bold call. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, thank you, sir. No, I really appreciate it. It was great seeing you. And uh, trust you'll continue getting after it out there at Fort Bragg.